0: And you know, the funny thing is, I, I, I'm i very lucky in a sense of I saw Shenyang grow to what it is today. Because when I got here, I remember looking at it and thinking like, what have I done? Like first, I lived in Dalian, <laughs> It was like this small little town. And I remember thinking, I've made a huge mistake. Because <clears throat> at the time, it was also December, it was so cold. Everything was dead and gloomy. And then in Shenyang, there was a t- And I mean a ton of construction going on Mm. everywhere. And I remember for a few years, just that was our lives. We just lived through like this constant construction. But the good thing is that we lived through it and now we have this like amazing city that Shenyang is today. The Shenyang from 10 years ago to what it is now, it is, you would not be able to recognize it at all. Wow. It's improved. Like, I can't even begin to explain the development.
1: Welcome to the bridge. Fun conversations on culture, life, and everything in between. Find us where you get your podcasts. If you like the show, then consider pushing the like button or giving us five stars. Suggestions, comments, anything you would like to share, email us at welovethebridge at gmail.com. We love the bridge. everyone. We're doing a crossover between The Bridge Podcast and Nadine in China. We're going to talk about what it's like living in China as a foreigner and what keeps expats here so long. Uh, Welcome to my program, and I guess I'm on yours. Hello, Nadine.
0: Hi, Jane. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm I'm really happy to be here.
1: I'm so excited to talk with you as well. I've been actually thinking about having you on the show for a long time. So it's really exciting that we can get together like this and kind of share our experiences with one another. Where are you from?
0: So I am from South Africa. A lot of people are surprised when I say that because I think just um, they don't expect it. Maybe they think I'm Russian or something or Ukrainian, but I'm actually from South Africa. A lot of people are also confused about my accent because I don't have a typical South African accent. And that's partly because I I did live in the US for a short time. But um, when I lived there, people sometimes had a hard time understanding me. So I started to just kind of change the way I spoke. And then when I came to China, um, people always also encouraged me to speak in a more American way. So I kind of lost my real accent. So I am from South Africa and uh, yeah.
1: Wait, so when you came to China and people encouraged you to speak in an American way, can you elaborate on that part? <laughs> because that sounds <laughs> So, okay.
0: When I came to China, I was part of this, um, it was like a cultural exchange program. Um, and I lived in this very, very small little town on the outskirts of Xinjiang. There were no foreigners. I was the first foreigner to ever set foot in that town. And wow. I mean, everyone was... was Dongbei. Like, I was like a celebrity over there. And at the time, the people, they just told me, oh, you know, Chinese really love American accents. So, you know, you said you lived in America. So let's just pretend that you are from America. They didn't want me to admit <laughs> that I was from South Africa because they, they thought maybe people will not understand. You know, I'm from South Africa. Maybe they have different ideas in their mind of what Africa or South Africa mm. is like. So mm. they just encouraged me to, mm. you know kind of be American. (laughs) So I was like, okay.
1: Before we get to like your life in China or our lives in China, can you tell me about your time in America? I'm an American. So that's interesting to me. Where did you live? How long were you there? What were you doing? So
0: I lived in Atlanta, in a small neighborhood in Northern Atlanta. And um, I was there for just under two years. And I actually worked there as an au pair. When I was in high school, the the most common thing for people to do after graduating high school was to either go to university or go abroad. And at the time when I was about in 10th grade or 9th grade, the most common country people would go to was, was England because it was the easiest for South Africans. But then when I was in 12th grade. The The English government stopped that. They were like, no, 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 there's too many of you coming here. So we kind of had to find different avenues. And then a popular thing became for young girls to see the world was to be an au pair. And it was the, the easiest way to, you know, go to America. And I'd always dreamt of going to America. So I took that opportunity and then i was the, an au pair for two small little children american children and i lived with the family
1: i only heard the term au pair 3 or 4 years ago for my first time so could you tell some of our listeners what is an au pair
0: so an au pair is basically a live in nanny and usually she is from a different country it's not like if you're an american and you have an american nanny she's just your nanny um, an au pair i believe it's a french word and it means for like uh, it means something like live in or on par or like always available kind of. So we uh would, you know, go to different countries and it's not just America that hosts au pairs There's a lot of countries that do it. And um that's actually that will we'll come back to that later on part of the story how I ended up in China. But basically you just go travel to another country for the purpose of experiencing the culture, learning about the culture and then taking care of their kids. <laughs> a lot of people it sounds actually like said the, that the movie
1: The Sound, the sound of, music. of Music. Yeah, no
0: <laughs> Yeah, a lot of people always say that um, an au pair is like cheap child labor because to get the au pair to America is is cheaper than hiring an American nanny. But I actually don't think it's true because the host family has to pay for your flights. They have to pay for you to attend university during your stay with them. Um, they have to give you a car. They have to pay your insurance. They they pay you a salary, you know, it's everything. They feed you everything. So I cannot quite imagine how it can be cheap child care in comparison to a, an American nanny. But I mean, I, I don't really know what they get paid. So I, I couldn't really well, say.
1: From what I've heard, au pairs are typically reserved for families that are better off. Most American families can't afford to have a live-in person come in and help them with all of their child care. And I don't think, yeah, I agree with your, your assessment. I don't think it's like that. Firstly, what other countries did you visit or or live in? And then how did you end up in China? Kind of. Could you tell us the story of Nadine coming to China?
0: Sure. Well, first of all, interesting. I also came to China in 2012. Uh, Just like you said, you also came. So, For me, I've only been in America and China and then obviously in South Africa as well. And I think a a big part of why I ended up in China is because I was in America. And, you know, it's like, everything we do in life has like these choices you make leads to one thing leads to another. And then eventually you end up where you end up. And I always wonder about, um, if I had taken a different, made a different choice somewhere along the line where I would have been now, I'm I'm really not sure, you know, it's hard to say, but basically when I was, when I was growing up, I was just, I always had this dream of abroad because, you know, when I was a kid in the nineties, America was like this is something you saw in the movies only it wasn't a real thing it was just the magical movies right so I always had this this fantasy about what America was like and life in America so I always knew that I was curious about it and you know I was I always watched movies I was so interested in it and then as I got older and I started to realize that I would have opportunities to go abroad I decided to look more into them but then at the time um, just before graduating high school I actually um, you know a young teenage girl, I I met a boy, and we fell in love. And then we were kind of just in a committed relationship. And as the years went by, I kind of realized that what would end up happening is we would get married, we would, you know, buy a house, buy a car, have kids, and then that would be our lives. And I just, I realized I, I didn't want that. And, um, one day we went to the movies and after the movies, we went for dinner and he said something to me. I can't remember what it was. And I looked at him and I told him, I want to go to America. And he was so shocked. And he was like, well, go then. And then I was like, okay, I will. And then five months later, we were broken up. I was in America
1: So, well, you know, I just want to say that must have been like his worst date scenario. So when he tells that story, it's a, an awful story. Yeah,
0: I mean, it came out of left field. It was totally I just realized, you know, I was so young at the time and I was just like, I don't want this life. I don't want this. I want more for myself. So finally, I just, you know, took the the took the jump, whatever the leap. And then I went I applied obviously applying and going through the process. It it was a, a lengthy process. And then, you know, getting your visa and all those things. But I ultimately ended up where I was always, you know, wanted to be, I was in America, I was happy. And then unfortunately, you know, to get a visa to America is is difficult. So now I was there. So it was okay. But to extend that visa, it's, it's, it's difficult, you have to have really good reasons for wanting to stay longer than your intended purpose of stay. And then once you leave, it's nearly impossible to go back again. But, you know, because my visa was going to expire, I had no choice, I had to leave. So again, about a few months before I was due to leave, I had... Met someone again, and I knew at the time I knew that you got out of the movies. Yeah, like, sorry, sorry, dude. You know, when people <laughs> ask me how did you end up in China, I tell them, oh my gosh, it's like a soppy love story. So get ready. But I had met this person, and I really felt for the first time I felt like this is someone that I could see myself, you know, spending my life with. And a lot of people said, oh, you just you just want a green card, and it really wasn't the case. It it really wasn't. But unfortunately, I had to go back home. And I did try to apply to return to the States, but you know, the, the embassy, they were like, well, this is suspicious. You know, you just got back and now why do you want to go back again? And who is this, who's this man sponsoring you? You know, like they knew we were up to something, even though it was not, It was no ill intentions. I just really wanted to go back and I don't know, you know, be with him, whatever. And then because that didn't happen, um, he kind of moved on with his life and I was just completely heartbroken. So I decided that I need to, I need to move on. I need to go to the next step. And the, the thing that might make the most sense was to be an au pair again, but in a different country. And for South Africans, a popular destination for au pairing is the Netherlands because we speak Afrikaans and Afrikaans is a language that is similar to Dutch. So it's very common for South African girls to go to the Netherlands to be an au pair. So I applied to the program and that's when my agency told me, well, we just opened a program for China. And I remember thinking, why? Like, you know, that was back in 2011, 2012. And the only thing I'd ever seen about China at the time was nothing. You know, I tried to go on YouTube and search, you know, things about China. There was no China YouTubers. There was no information whatsoever. And the only thing I knew about it was that everything was made in China, so I had this image in my mind of China, and then when they showed me the the photos, the agency they told me, well, there's four uh, major cities that we place people in, and they were Shenzhen, Guangzhou, Hangzhou, and uh, Xinjiang. And I mean, I saw these photos, and I was shocked. Like, I won't lie, I was I was like, this is impossible. And then I got kind of curious and then I decided that, you know, since that person had done something extremely crazy to break my heart, I'm going to do something equally crazy and I'm going to (laughs) move to China Wow, that's That's the most
1: interesting reason I've ever heard.
0: Yeah, I I was out for revenge, kind of, and, you
1: know. (laughs) I'm in China, take that.
0: Yeah, so I I decided, and actually, I was only supposed to come for three months. I was supposed Mm -hmm. to come as a cultural exchange person again, going to that small little town, and it was supposed to be only a three-month thing, and it's been 11 years now, so. So,
1: do you still live in Shenyang? I
0: do. I've, I've moved to, uh, it's a town called Liaozhong, which is on the outskirts mm-hmm. of uh, Shenyang. And then once I left there and came back, back to Shenyang, I just never left. I have never lived in another city, which is, I know it sounds crazy to a lot of people. I just, I never, I never wanted to leave, which is weird. Because do you I, travel
1: around in China?
0: I have not been able to travel as much as I intended when I first came to China. Um, I mostly travel al- around Liaoning province. And then, of course, I went uh. to Beijing. Uh, I went to Chongchun, <laughs> which is like, I don't think that counts as traveling. It's like also, you know, not really a, tr- a tourist destination. But yeah, unfortunately, you know, my my own circumstances have just not allowed me to, to do that. You know, I had a very tumultuous time when I first came to China because... Uh-huh. At the time, the agency that placed me, they made it seem like one thing. And then I soon, when I met other... And, you know, they really encouraged me not to make friends with foreigners. And I was very confused. And they would tell me that the foreigners will in China, you know, they are evil. They will try to plant <laughs> thoughts in your head. And I was, I was terrified. But then when I met people, I soon realized that they were telling me this because they were trying to keep me from finding out the truth, which eventually mm-hmm. I found out. And then I just kind of had to fight my way through... You you know, surviving China and that's why I haven't been able to travel as much as I would have liked to but I do and you know then I had a kid as well so that kind of put a damper mm-hmm. in everything but I do hope to actually start traveling this year that is like one of my main goals because she's old enough now to you know travel around mm-hmm. easier and you know it, it will just be easier I think
1: that that's fantastic I just finally went to Shenyang this last year I was on my way back from Harbin I'm actually also going to Dongbei which is your general vicinity to Harbin next week. I I'm going for for the ice festival, which is like the biggest, most famous ice festival in the world. I mean, it's not near Shenyang, but it's in that direction.
0: I mean, you're brave because I remember coming to China. I knew that was on my bucket list because I saw it and I was like, that looks amazing. But then when I lived through my first Mm. winter in Dongbei, I was like, there's no way I would survive (laughs) (coughs) Harbin winter. There's there's no way. There's just no way. So I still haven't been able to convince myself to go yet to to Harbin, but I would love to go. I, I I
1: thought Shenyang was a beautiful city and my wife and I went around. We, we, we were just taking a tour. We went to a Buddhist temple. We went to a Catholic church. We went to like a couple other places. It's a very lovely city. I was just really surprised because I'd never heard of Shenyang until we were on our way to Shenyang. And then I was like, this is as big as pretty much any city in the United States. And it's like a city I'd never even heard of. That's like China. You know, everything is just much bigger than you ever heard of before. And suddenly it's like, really, this is just here? <laughs> right, right. And
0: you know, the funny thing is, I, I I'm very lucky in a sense of I saw Shenyang grow to what it is today. Because when I got here, I remember looking at it and, and thinking like, what have I done? Like first I lived in Dalian; <laughs> It was like this small little town. And I th- remember thinking I've made a huge mistake because <clears throat> at the time it was also December. It was so cold. Everything was dead and gloomy. And, and, you know, it was just, it was cold and miserable. And then in Shenyang, there was a ton. And I mean, a ton of construction going on mm-hmm. everywhere. And I remember for a few, years just that was our lives we just lived through like this constant construction but the good thing is that we lived through it and now we have this like amazing city that Shenyang is today the Shenyang from 10 years ago to what it is now it is you would not be able to recognize it at all. Wow. It's improved. Like, I can't even begin to explain the development of the city in the past. I hope
1: you took a lot of pictures because you could probably just do a history of Shenyang book or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) So we've been here about the same amount of time. What's interesting about your story is you lived in America for a couple of years. I lived in South Korea for a year and then I, I went back home too and then I ended up coming to China. So our stories are very parallel, actually. It's very, very interesting. So, you know, you mentioned that you had a little bit of trouble at the beginning. Beginning and that you got through, you know, your China adventure and figured things out over time. I was wondering what you know. This is a question I ask everyone. Why are you still here? It's been, uh, let's see, eleven years. Yeah. So what kept you in China? What keeps you in China for such a long period of time?
0: I think you know when I was new to Xinjiang, I I think I f- my. F- First true love that I fell in love with were, was the expat community. The, you know, <laughs> a lot of people always joke about it because they say that the expat community in Xinjiang is kind of like, High school or maybe even (laughs) middle school, if you want to go that far, because we are this, this community of expats and everyone knows everyone, even though you don't know them, you know them, Yeah. but also everyone like loves to know each other's business. It's like middle school. It's like a bunch of, you know, it's just the, it's, it's a strange setup, but uh, Ten years ago, I just fell in love with the um, the sense of community that we had. And another um, guest that I had on my channel, uh, an American girl, also spoke about this and saying that why she loves living in Xinjiang so much is it's just it's you feel like a sense of community. Whereas Mm. in other cities, she didn't feel that same sense of community among the foreigners. So for Mm. me, what made me really stay here in the beginning and fighting to stay here was just my friends from around the world. You know, I met when I lived in America, I was the foreigner. You know, I was like the foreigner and everyone else was just living their normal lives. But when I came to Shenyang, we were all on the same like... Um, you know, and the same understanding because we were now all foreigners trying to just, you know, live our best lives and just mm-hmm. trying to make it. So whether you were from America or New Zealand or South Africa or wherever you were from, we were just like, you know, stuck together and helped each other. So I would say my friends at the time just made me want to not leave so quickly. And then I just, there was something about, it's something I can't explain to people. It's, it's almost like a lot of people say they try to leave and go back home, but there's always something pulling them back Like they they need to come back to China or they need to come back to Xinjiang. And that's something that I felt like I couldn't leave. And I did leave Um, in 2013. I did go home for four months and Mm. I just needed to come back. I felt like I stopped living when I went back to uh, South Africa, because, you know, in South Africa, you don't live in the city. You live in the suburbs. So it's Mm. kind of It's very beautiful, but it's kind of boring. You know, you need a car to go everywhere. And there's not a whole lot, you know, in the weekdays, people work and then they go home. Whereas in Shenyang, it was like a totally different world. You know, you live in the city, you can just, your lifestyle was just different. And you were always hanging out with your friends. And, you know, at four o'clock, someone would say, hey, you know, let's go meet at Uncle Sam's. And then you walk up there and people are sitting outside and the sun is shining. And it's just the vibe of everything is just, it was just different than back home. So that really drew me to stay here. And then eventually I just became, I don't know, I felt like this became my home and I just couldn't imagine myself ever leaving. And then, of course, uh, when I got pregnant, I had to make a decision on, am I going to go home or am I going to go somewhere else or am I just going to stay in China? And the thing that made the most sense was just to to stay here because I looked mm-hmm. at the you know the lifestyle here of the kids that live here and yeah there are some some challenges that the kids who grow up here they face but in a in, in a bigger picture I just couldn't imagine myself raising a kid in South Africa specifically South mm-hmm. Africa you know maybe if I was American I would or Australian or New Zealand whatever I would have a different perception but as a South African I just couldn't imagine myself uh, raising a kid there because the country is just you know on a downward spiral at the moment. So it just didn't seem like a wise thing to leave the safety of China and go to a country where, you know, that, that couldn't offer me or my child the same thing. So, yeah, mm. I just I stayed because I I guess I stayed because I had a baby <laughs> and <laughs> I just, yeah.
1: Well, you know, I wanted to test your theory about community because I know one guy, one gentleman who lives in, in Shenyang, but he's not in your generation. So but his name is Mario Cavallo and he's a jazz pianist and uh, he's, he's older, Italian-American gentleman, skinny, plays piano.
0: I can't say that I have so, no heard of him because he's probably not linked <laughs>
1: around in any WeChat groups. So that's probably why. 2,500 years ago, an old man rode on his buffalo and headed west of China. Before he vanished into the wild, he left behind a book of 5,000 words, which for the next two and a half millennia would have shaped the Chinese way of thinking. Subscribe to The Sayings of Lao Tzu and find out why generals with wisdom yield after winning the ultimate battle and how staying behind just might help you get ahead of others. The Sayings of Lao Tzu is available on all major podcast platforms. d Duck, a podcast of CGTN Radio. We go beyond headlines with reporters from around the world. Search for Deep Dive on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Take a deep dive into the news every week. Hear our conversations.
0: You're listening to The Bridge.
1: people are always accusing me personally of not saying things that uh, about China that I find challenging so i'm going to tell you one example of something i find frustrating and then i'm going to ask you for me personally i love walking. I mean literally on my top like three favorite things to do, it's like sleeping, uh walking and riding bicycle. These are like walking around is so important to me. So one thing I find frustrating about living in China is the electric bikes and the scooters and the bicyclists who are on the sidewalk even when there's a bike lane right there. There's a bike lane. Like you go that way, 1 meter, there's a bike lane. For whatever reason the e-bike is zooming past me and an old lady with a baby and I I find this so frustrating. So yeah, I love China. I love a lot of things about China, but can we please get the two-wheeled vehicles off of the sidewalk, please?
0: You know, I'm laughing because I am one of those e-bikers oh. who <laughs> No, 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 no. I mostly stay in the bike lanes because I'm terrified Mm. of hitting a pedestrian. As a foreigner, Mm. can you imagine what would happen to me? Like, you know, I I feel like (laughs) that. Oh, I don't even want to think about it. So I try to avoid it. But, you know, especially in the morning when I take my, my, my daughter to school the mm. cars steal yeah. the lane that is meant for the bikes so we have no choice mm. but to go yeah. on the sidewalk so and then mm. you know sometimes the, the the bike lane might be too crowded or something so you would have to go over on the sidewalk but actually for the most part the bike lanes are so smooth to ride on it just feels so much mm. more comfortable than a sidewalk but I yeah, I'm definitely guilty of sometimes you know sometimes
1: so is the producer of this show she also rides an e-bike around on the sidewalks so when I talk- told her that's the, she said Jason can you tell me something you find frustrating about China and i told her that she was like, but not that one. <laughs> 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 can it be something else? But that's the thing, you know, and I, you know, I, I don't blame the people who ride on the sidewalk. What I think is when more regulation about who should be, where is going to would help the situation. So there should be like, Hey, cars get out of here. You can't park there. So that bicycle lane is open so that e-bike people and whatever can be in that lane. So that the old lady on the, on the pavement isn't having, you know, alama drivers zooming by them or whatever. But anyways, Oh
0: my gosh, these drivers they're the the most lethal of them all
1: wow. but they are so in a hurry too you know you, honestly no, I was just okay it's I get out of their way because I know they're probably the most stressed out pressured of anyone in the you know outside moving cycle you know you, obviously you love China you're here you're safe you have a great community what do you find challenging though what are the, some of the one or two examples of things that are that could be easier you know maybe?
0: I just uh, I, I made a video about this about a month ago talking about the things that you know the difficulties that I face um, at that, the video, that particular video focused more on the difficulties I face as a foreigner rather than just things that I find challenging. But I think for the most part, the the top thing would just be that sometimes there's, you know, um, I I can speak Chinese to a certain degree, but Mm -hmm. I do find myself in situations where I just don't know the word I need to know at this moment (laughs) when I try to communicate with someone about something. Um, Hmm. For example, yesterday I was like, uh, I had a moment of just wanting to lose my mind and I was texting with my daughter's teacher. And mm-hmm. she, because she had texted me something that made me so mad, and I wanted to respond to her and explain to her my situation and my reason for being late yesterday, but I just I couldn't find the words to express myself properly. And then I had mm. to like check the translation. And you know, when you're like mad and you want to just tell someone, listen, this
1: is are <laughs> using a Hang on, you know, like just
0: hold on one second. You know, so sometimes I feel like that's frustrating for me. And you know, I mentioned this in my video as well. I know that that's my fault. Like I need to obviously brush up on my Chinese, but I also mentioned in that video that Chinese is my third language. So I'm old. Okay. I feel like my brain can only (laughs) absorb so many languages at my age. So I would say sometimes just the communication is a little bit um, difficult, but a part of the communication that frustrates me a lot, and this has nothing to do with being able to speak the language to me. I don't know. I still haven't been able to figure this out because I've never actually asked a a Chinese friend why it is like this. Um, And even if I did, I think they wouldn't understand what I mean. But I feel like sometimes talking to the locals or getting information from them is like pulling teeth. Like you have to if I ask two questions at once only one question would be answered. And I'm not entirely sure why. For example, if I send a message to my daughter's teacher and I asked her two specific questions, like, um, you know, what time is, let's say, for example, I would ask her, you know, what time do the kids get off today? And then um, tomorrow it's a half day, right? She would just answer my first question and tell me the kids get
1: off at four o'clock today.
0: And then I'm like, okay, what about my second question? I feel like it just, I don't know. I feel like Chinese people have a lot of patience. So it's like, they, they don't mind you know, taking it slow and and communicating it. I, it's something I, I, I can't understand. I'm just a very impatient person. So maybe it's just, uh-huh. maybe it's me. But in the communication <laughs> senses, that's something that frustrates me is I, I feel like I need mm. to, you know, extract every bit of information sometimes when asking questions. And I, I'm really not mm. sure if it's like a, i I'm really not sure why. <laughs> so in communication senses, that's something that, that frustrates me. If I had to talk I'm about be... something about the mm-hmm. transportation, it frustrates me. It's yeah, that yeah, people sure. are so calm on the road even when other people are breaking the rules. And I think that's because I'm a South African and South Africans are very known for having like really intense road rage. Like people get crazy in South Africa. So when a car stops in the middle of the road, a busy road, just to check their GPS or something, cars behind that person <laughs> would honk one or twice, once or twice, but no one... No one is, you know, killing each other. So they, they just have a lot of patience. So to me, sometimes I get so frustrated because it's like, why are these cars not moving? Can we just move? I, I guess maybe it comes down to my own fault. I'm just a very impatient person, I guess, in all areas. That's why I drive an e-bike and not a car. Because I I don't want to unleash my, my South African-ness on the roads.
1: <laughs> I find... Different Chinese cities have different like characteristics in terms of how busy people are. So I I don't know. Maybe it's Shenyang or maybe uh, because I don't notice that in Beijing. In here in Beijing, there's everything is like. Cutthroat, New York style, go, 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 go. There's a lot of honking and frustration when people break the rules here. So I think maybe, maybe in different cities you have different like kind of culture. I noticed when I was in Jinan, I'm sorry to pick on you, Jinan folks, but I was in Jinan one time, and this is years ago. So maybe the culture has changed. Cars drove on the sidewalk sometimes. Yeah. So I was like, what is going on? I'm there's a car behind me, the pedestrian, a full car, like a you know, normal sized car, honking at me for being in its way and I was just and that did not just happen once so I was like wow this is something else so yeah I think maybe it's a more of a Shenyang thing here in Beijing if you like stop in the middle of the road it's going to be like horns everywhere and people are going to use some very colorful language that I you know it's the kind of language that you think is fun to learn
0: <laughs> right I do remember when I first came to Shenyang the honking was nonstop and everywhere and somewhere along the line the government passed new laws about it and wow. people Honking so much. Now they actually tell you you're not allowed to honk. I think I'm the loudest honking my e-bike sometimes at people. Beep, beep. Like, Get out of my <laughs> so yeah, I, I've no that's something I've noticed. It was definitely I remember lying in my bed just listening to the constant honking. Maybe it's because I moved out of the city. Like I I've still live in the city, but I live more on the outskirts of the city. So, mm. or not the outskirts, mm. just I live across from the river. So <clears throat> it's more like a family-friendly district and not in the city center. Maybe if I, I barely go into the city center because it just gives me so much anxiety. It's just too many people Mm -hmm. and cars and I'm, you know, at peace here, (laughs) this side. So I I do definitely, I've noticed that there is a, there was a change about the Mm. the amount of honking that is allowed. I don't know if, if Beijing ever did that or not.
1: You know, I'm kind of like you, actually, I lived in Wuhan for a year, a little over a year and uh, my wife and I, we bought an apartment there and we moved to a kind of a new area. And it was so nice because it was not near downtown. It was so suburban kind of. And, you know, there's super tall buildings everywhere like normal in China, but the very few people on the streets outside, it was such a a calming feeling. I can't wait to move back there someday because honestly, like you, you know, when I'm in Beijing, everywhere is the city center, and it's like it's a little too intense for me personally. You know, I was going to ask you how important knowing Chinese but is, but I think you kind of answered that. We should all probably try to learn a little more. It seems like I've, I very rarely meet a foreign person who is fluent enough that that's not a good piece of advice. I wanted to ask you about shopping, delivery, and malls. So how does that compare to back? home in South Africa or your experience in Atlanta in the United States. Because for me, I do enjoy going to the malls here because it's like going into its own little city of commercialism. It's there's some of them are like 10 stories tall. I wanted to ask you, how has your experience of shopping and going into, you know, the public commercial area been? So,
0: in, there's a stark difference between the malls in Xinjiang and the malls in South Africa. And I feel like the most popular shopping malls here are not targeting me as a consumer because they have all of these high-end name brands. I mean, high-end brands that I could only dream of buying. You know, sometimes I look at the, the screen in K11 and they have these um, flashing <laughs> screens of like a coat and it just looks like a coat, but it's like eight thousand yuan for a coat so it's
1: like gucci or something
0: yeah it's like all of these even brands i've never even heard of to be honest so I feel like in South Africa a shopping mall was just a shopping mall. You could go there, you had your expensive clothing stores, maybe two or three, and then you had your average ones and then everyone was able to shop somewhere. But um here I feel like everything is very high end, um everything's name brand and then you you do have H&M. <laughs> you know, that's like okay, <laughs> finally we have H&M. So
1: You just read my mind. That's exactly what my wife and I do.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I was really uh stunned to see a lot of the H&Ms around Xinjiang just disappearing. So it's, you know, when we go to the mall, I mostly go to the mall to um, just have a coffee or walk around or just let my kid play on some of the free, you know, slides and stuff or just, just getting out of the house. We I never really go to the mall with the sole intention of buying clothes unless I go to maybe mm-hmm. Uniqlo or H&M or something like that. But for the most part, I actually just shop online when I need to buy anything, to be honest. The molds are more like. Can I ask niche. you which
1: app? Which app do you use? For for
0: shopping? Yeah. I, yeah. I just use Taobao. Taobao.
1: I'm on Jingdong all the time, so I was just curious.
0: Okay. I don't know why I am a Taobao person over Jingdong. I, I'm really not sure.
1: I don't know the difference. I have both Um, but sometimes one has something I want and sometimes the other for example I find Taobao has better book options than Jingdong but I find that Jingdong has better clothing options than Taobao I don't know maybe it's just me maybe it's my specific needs I don't know I have no idea
0: I bought um, actually yeah I bought dog food the other day on Jingdong only because I needed it delivered the same day whereas you know on Taobao you're going to wait maybe two days so I just I don't know I feel like I know Taobao like the back of my hand. Like, I'm like a professional Taobao shopper where Jingdong is uh. something new to me. I, I'm really not actually sure why. There's no specific reason. I just, I never, I don't actually know why I prefer Taobao. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably not wise. I, I do believe Jingdong maybe has. Um, uh, more reliable stores. You're more likely to not find um, any counterfeit goods or something like that. That's what I've heard from people, at least.
1: I love counterfeit goods. They're the cheapest.
0: Uh, the reason also why I <laughs> chose Jingdong as uh, to buy my dog's food was because I'd heard some, some horror stories of people saying recently there was some um, stuff going on with the dog food being purchased online. So I needed it to be delivered on the same day, uh, not going through many hands and then just getting the package as soon as possible. So that's yeah, that's why I So you have a pet? I have two. I have two dogs actually.
1: Two dogs. What kind of dogs?
0: A uh, poodle. One is actually on my lap. <laughs> She's sitting over here. <laughs>
1: She's over here. I, I have cats. I have cats instead of dogs because I'm worried about I think I'm too lazy to go walk them two to three times a day. So because of my laziness, I have cats. Yeah. That's the that's the short answer.
0: I I <laughs> So lazy to walk my dogs and that's why i moved to a ground floor apartment so i have a fairly large yard for them so i just open the door and let them go out you have a yard i do wow. and you know what it's it's a shockingly large yard for uh xinyang standards you know that if you rent a ground floor apartment in Xinjiang, they are so pricey and the garden is usually just very very small so when i found this apartment at this price i i couldn't believe it i was like what's wrong with the place i I'm taking it right now. And we actually moved in here right when the first, first lockdown happened, like COVID was new. And then they sealed the gates at my, my previous apartment. And I told them I got to get out, man, I got to go to my garden apartment. <laughs> so yeah, so I that's why I, I moved here primarily was just for my I, at the time, I only had one dog. So and then I, I did also have a cat that we found in the community outside. She was just a baby kitten. And then I have a tendency to rescue a lot of animals. So whenever I see like an animal outside, I would, you know, take it in. And then the cat lived with us for about uh i think nine months and then she moved to mm. another home so i, I like cats yeah
1: I, I love animals too i love pretty much every animal maybe not spiders but all the other ones
0: <laughs> well that's the, that's see, that's the bad thing about having the, the the apartment on the ground floor because i do get a lot of spiders you know a lot of spiders
1: mm. yeah i had a ground floor in south korea at my first apartment there and i had centipedes come in but not like little tiny cute ones like the really long ones that move like they are jamming there it goes so fast i was terrified oh my gosh so i I told at that time i worked for an english company and they were providing me the apartment i said you either move me or i'm out of here so they got me a different apartment on like the ninth floor or something so that was nice i didn't have to be attacked by insects anymore oh yeah
0: the best military commander is not he who fights a hundred battles and wins every one of them. The best military strategy does not lead to the desiccation of the enemy's capital city. Decoding the Art of War will help you understand why there is no art in war and how the stayed undefeatable using the science of war, with fun stories and insightful breakdown of famous battles. Tune in to Decoding the Art of War on Spotify. You're listening to The Bridge.
1: What kind of advice would you give someone who is planning on moving to China, but has never been to China?
0: What kind of advice? I think the biggest thing I would tell them is to just come to China with an open mind. Like you have to be open minded about it. Um, You know, I I know a lot of people who come here for the first time, they, you know, there's like a honeymoon phase. And then once that wears off, or maybe they don't even experience that, it's just pure shock. They find (laughs) ways to complain about every From the taste of the food, or you know anything, and for me, I think my situation was different at the time because I actually like writing a lot. And at the time when I first came to uh, China, I used to write about the experience. So I came here with a complete open mind, and I wanted to immerse myself in every single experience. Every everything was new to me, like even using a gas stove for the first time was a new experience to me. So really, yeah, we use electricity. (laughs) So in fact, I had to. Boil water on the stove top to make my coffee and I didn't know how to, <laughs> it, was so, it was so funny but because I was for me every experience I was living was something to write about so I just embraced every single thing because the the more experiences I had the better you know writing content I had so for me I was completely open-minded to anything and everything and I think that's what made my transition into coming here so easy I, I think I had more culture shock when I went to America than I did when I came to China and it's because cause I was just, I was ready. I was like, yeah, come throw everything you have at me. I'm ready to <laughs> write about this experience. <laughs> so it, for me, that helped me a lot. So I would say just be open-minded and remember that it's going to be different. Everything is going to be different. And you have to, you just have to, you know, embrace it for what it is. And you have to enjoy the experience. You know, it's, it's all part of like, why are you traveling abroad to learn about new things, new cultures? So just be open-minded and, you know take it all in that's I think- that's the only advice I can give. If you can be open-minded about everything, then it's going to be much easier.
1: Yeah, that's great advice. You know, I think uh, the reason I ask these kinds of questions is because most of the people I interview, like you, have been here for a long time. And I think it's sometimes we forget, you know, the initial six months feels. So I want to give you another question. Well What kind of advice would you give to someone who just came to China about how to find an apartment and what to do regarding that? when they're, When their company says, oh, we'll find an apartment for you, and just subsidize it or... Uh, they give you money to go find your apartment, or they say they're going to help you find an apartment. Would you say to do that, or would you go a different route? What would you do if you had to start over? If, or if you're talking to a friend of yours who is coming here for the first time?
0: If I could give a suggestion, I would say, if the company offered to help you with it, I would say take them up on the offer, but you tell them we're going to go to the realty little whatever office together, and I will tell you what I need or what I want, and you will tell them because the person wouldn't speak Chinese at that time and then go with the company to see. And, you know, usually the realty office would show you the photos of apartments before taking you to see them. And right there and then that's when you can, based on photos, decide this is something I want to see or this is something I don't want to see. Because I think a lot of times, you know. For us, we have different ideas of what a home is. Um, a lot of times, you know, some of my Chinese friends always tell me if I if I mention something about uh, transport or traffic or something, they would tell me, well, just move. And I would tell them, are you crazy? My apartment is my home. I made that place a home. This, it's just not not just four walls, you know, and a roof over my head. That that's my home. So I think when you are a new foreigner, maybe the company thinks that, well, this person just needs a safe place to sit sleep, right? So just put them into any apartment. But for us, I feel like if you have a place to come home to, you know, you're new to China, everything is overwhelming. The sights, the smells, the sounds, everything. And to be able to come home at the end of a day and just be in your own safe space that makes you feel comfortable, that's going to help a lot. So if you have a say in choosing that home, then that's going to make your stay also a lot easier. So don't just tell them, yeah, I want this and this and this, and then let them find you an apartment. I would insist on going with them to view the apartments and put your foot down if they give you a budget and say this is what it is and you you know they show you 10 apartments and you didn't like any of them don't give up because there are tons of you know perfect apartments out there they might just not want to I don't know. They might just want to get it over with quickly because it's a hassle. You know, this is like a a thing. It's like annoying. Oh, we have to find an apartment for this person. So I would just say, go view the apartments together and like, don't give up just because you need an apartment. Just keep looking until you find what you actually
1: want. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. You put it, make it really hard at first to settle in. But once you've settled in, you've got exactly what you're looking for. That's really good advice, actually. I wouldn't have said that. I would have said something else, but I think your answer is better than mine. So we're going to move on. I wanted to add, you know, you've been here a long time. Presumably back in South Africa, mom and dad are like, we miss Nadine. So can you tell us how does your family feel about you being on the other side of the planet? You're literally in the opposite hemisphere. You're like on the other side of the planet.
0: So, my family is kind of unique at the moment because everyone is on a different continent at the moment.
1: Wow. Yeah.
0: Um, I was the first little bird to to leave the nest, like uh, country wise. I, I went to, I have two older brothers, uh, first of all. So they are four and five years older than me. So I was, I am the baby of the family. And then I left to go to America. I went home for a year and that's when I came to China. And then my oldest brother, he, him and his family actually immigrated to Canada a few years ago, maybe like, I don't even know, three or four years ago. So they live in Canada. And then just very recently, actually, uh, I think like a few months ago, my middle brother, he, him and his family, they moved to New Zealand. So I've got now one brother in Canada, one in New Zealand. I'm in China. And then my mom and dad, they are the only ones left in South Africa, which is very sad because all of the grandbabies, you know, my, my brothers, they have kids as well. So there's, uh, and actually my, our kids have never met each other. That's even
1: worse. Oh, wow. That's going to make for one heck of a family union. It's not even a reunion at that point. Right.
0: So, yeah, I my family met my daughter when she was five months old. I had to go back to South Africa to do her visa. So we were very lucky to spend Christmas over there. And then my mom came to China a year before COVID. Like 2019, she was here. And she was able to spend time with my daughter. But the, every, you know, the rest of the time is just video calls. And then I've never met my any of my my nieces or my nephew. So it's really, that's really tragic and and sad, I think.
1: So I have a similar situation. I met my bro- my older brother, Michael's uh, three daughters when they were basically babies. You know, they- one was like one, one was like three, one was like six or seven. And now, like, they're all like teenagers. And so I have no idea who these people are, because they're not just like, you know, mama, dada. They're like, they're actual young human beings with personalities and stuff. And I don't really know them at all. I see them on like Facebook and stuff. And I'm like, oh, they seem to be doing all right. So. But I, yeah, I really don't know. I'm wondering about you, like how long do you see yourself living the life of the, in the Middle Kingdom? What is maybe on the horizon for you?
0: For me, I always had a set plan. Uh, when my daughter was born, I always had an idea that when she, when she's ready to go to school, like uh, first grade, I would not be here anymore because I just felt like I wanted her to go to school in an English environment, just because that's our that's our homeland language, you know, Um, but She's a first grade now. <laughs> she goes to Chinese school. It's
1: a great opportunity for her to learn Chinese.
0: I mean, she already speaks very good Chinese because she was born here. So she's lived her whole life here. She she doesn't know any for she doesn't have any she has a, a foreigner little friend, but they don't get to see each other very often. And you know, in our community, she's she's got a lot of great friends here. And her Chinese is so good. Sometimes I look at them having conversations and I'm like, what are they even saying? Like, how does she know all of this? Her she's amazing she's she's just amazing so now she's in in public school and, you know, someone once told me, um, uh, it's actually a, a, a Chinese guy who uh, moved to Australia when he was 10. And now he's back to Shenyang. And, and we're quite good friends. And he told me when I spoke to him about this, this situation, he told me that if he ever had kids, he would let his kids go to uh, Chinese primary school uh, for grade one and two. And then starting from grade three, he would want them to move back to Australia. And he said that, you know, the foundation that they get in grade one and two, he would be happy with that. So I thought about it and then I just kind of decided to just let it, let's just go, you know, keep going until...
1: Yeah, that sounds great. There's a Chinese phrase for this, feeling your way across the river, using your feet on the rock, something like that. So you're essentially just kind of seeing how it goes, right?
0: Yeah. I feel like, you know, here for us, you, you never know where life's going to go. Like, you know, you have a more stable situation because your wife is Chinese. But for me, like, I have no direct ties to China. Like, I don't have a Chinese husband or anything. So it's not like, oh, yeah, we can just stay here forever. I know that we cannot stay here forever. But I would ideally I would want to stay here for as long as I can because we're very safe here you know I have a daughter I have to think about her safety and you know as a woman a, a woman from South Africa when I think about what's going on over there that it's different so for me I think yeah just in terms of safety and just the overall lifestyle that we have in winter our lives become a little bit more boring because it's so cold in Dombey. but I mean when I think back on summer and everything we do and the things that we're able to do is just it's amazing. So it's it's something that I I want to keep giving my child this kind of childhood where I pick her up from school and then we take the e-bike, we go to the park, and it's dark, it's night. We drive the bike through the park, you know, maybe stop at a restaurant, eat some barbecue, you know, watch the old ladies dance across the street, do their, you know, square dances, and then oh, the you should join night, it. Yeah, I I I want to join them, but (laughs) you know. And then at the end of the day, we we come home and we feel like we have lived you know, whereas I feel like back home, you would pick up your kids from school, you would go home, eat dinner, and then what, you know, it's like, so the lifestyle here, I want to keep giving my daughter that adventurous kind of lifestyle, something that I know she would not have if I had to move back home or any other place. But um, to answer your question about where I might want to like go one day, since my brother is in New Zealand now, I think that if I ever had, to face a decision to leave, I would probably want to go to New Zealand as well because New Zealand is the close, you know, for South Africans, it's a popular place to go because the weather is very... Is sp- it a
1: similar latitude in the Southern Hemisphere?
0: I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So, you know, the, Australia and New Zealand is popular choices because the weather is just so similar and...
1: Oh my gosh, Australia, it terrifies me. I've heard the spiders there are enormous. Oh
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. New Zealand just sounds more, I don't know... it sounds different than Australia. I have a cousin who lives in Australia, and he's he's really happy there as well. But probably since I have family in New Zealand now, that would seem like the most, um, you know, sensible choice. And then perhaps if I move there, my brother's there, perhaps we could help my parents uh, come over there as well. So that's something that's, you know, in the back of my mind, but not any set plans, really. It's just like a like a like a little seed of idea, you know.
1: We have a few minutes left. I wanted to ask you about your YouTube channel. What are you know, you're Nadine in China. That's right. That's how we find you N A D I N E in China, Nadine in China. That's how we find your channel on YouTube. What is your goal there? What are you trying to do? Or is it just something you do for fun? So,
0: my channel actually started, uh, it's something that I had wanted to do for a long time, but I never felt comfortable enough to put my life on the internet for strangers to see. It was kind of like an odd idea. And then um, when we lived during um, the whole COVID era, I would see a lot of just horrible things on Facebook that people were saying about, you know, China. And it would make me so mad because I was like, I live here, okay? And it's not anything like what you guys are saying. So I had this idea to kind of do that to show at least my friends, you know, share the link with my Facebook friends, my my schoolmates, my, you know, my classmates, uh, old co-workers, let them see what my life is really like here because I don't post a lot on Facebook. They, they might see a photo here or there, but they don't really know what our lives were like. So I had this idea, but then it never materialized. And then we were actually placed in home quarantine. Um, due to my daughter being a close contact in kindergarten or something like that. And that's how my channel actually started because I wanted to document what that was like because it was hilarious because they put an alarm on my front door. When you open the door, this alarm would just go off screaming. So,
1: <laughs> Nadine is <has> a <escaped. laughs> Yeah, it was
0: hilarious. It was really funny. So I wanted to document that. And then I just felt comfortable. Once I started doing that, I felt more comfortable and I decided, you know what? I'm going to keep showing people like the real child now because there's so much out there people you know people have so many ideas and they've they've never even been here they don't even know anything they just know what from what they see online or I don't even know where they get these ideas from so my idea is to just show them uh, you know I do vlogs to show people this is just our life you know we have this this is just our life here and then I also do other videos that is more like uh, maybe like monologue kind of videos informational stuff uh, maybe just chat Adding a bit just to just to share what my life in China is actually like, because I think a lot of people just have a misconception of of what that is. So that's like my ultimate
1: goal. At the beginning of the show, we had parallels and kind of like the timing of coming here and stuff. And I I actually have the same parallel with you. My experience was I, I don't want to be famous. I'm not interested in that. It's not appealing to me. I never had that inclination my entire life. I, around 2018, 2019, I started reading more media again for the first time in many years. And I was like, they're talking about China and saying some really weird things. Maybe I should tell them that's not what it's like. And then it just sort of just, I was at home a lot from the pandemic and I started making videos all the time. It's very similar to your reason also. So I ended up making all these videos, basically trying to say, you know, China's actually not like this terrible dystopian crazy place that you guys are saying it is. And it ended up, just becoming its own thing thank you so much for joining the bridge and uh, i anyone who wants to find you can go to youtube and type in nadine in china and find your channel thank you so much maybe we could do this again in the future
0: yeah thank you so much for having me and i would love to sit down and and chat again sometime all right jason (laughs) oh yeah